Behold, behold the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins and the diseases of the world. Lord Jesus, we turn to you now because we believe that you have the truth of eternal life. And you are the one, the one alone, who can bring true healing and wholeness, not just to our lives, but to the whole world. So help us now to understand this word of Scripture and by your Spirit speak to our hearts and our minds this night we pray. In your name we ask it. Amen. In over 40 years of preaching ministry, this is the first time I've ever preached on this passage from Luke chapter 7. Maybe what's been the case is that I've subconsciously found the topic of raising the dead just a little bit too daunting to tackle. But the first part of that passage happens to be the set lectionary gospel for this Sunday. And as tonight is a healing service, I just didn't think I'd got any excuse at all to duck the issue yet again. So, here goes. For me, the difficulty that lies at the heart of this story is whether we should apply what Jesus did then to what we do now in the healing ministry. On the whole, my belief is that Jesus gives us, in the New Testament, through the Gospels, a template for our ministry, not just our healing ministry, but a template for the proclamation of the kingdom of God. And if you look at the list of the signs of the kingdom that are set out in verse 22 of that passage, when Jesus sends a message back to John the Baptist to demonstrate that he really is the Messiah, the raising of the dead is the only one in that list that the church doesn't really exercise today. Even in cleansing lepers, as well as making the blind see, the deaf hear, and the lame walk, the church can claim to have continued the healing ministry of Jesus. But raising the dead, now that's surely the exception, isn't it? Or is it? Well, there's some anecdotal evidence of testimonies coming out of places like Africa from various meetings and rallies that would suggest otherwise, but it's very hard to verify these accounts. The only time in the whole of my ministry that I've come across a situation with raising the dead came through a colleague that I was in circuit with many years ago now in Sheffield. And this colleague was being intensely pressurized by a Christian family to pray for a recently deceased relative to be raised to life. Now, my colleague was a firm believer in the miraculous power of God to heal. 
But nevertheless, after a great deal of heart-searching prayer and consultation with other members of staff, he not surprisingly declined this request. And he went down the path of pastoral care and bereavement counseling for this distraught family. So then, I'm left with the question, does Jesus expect us to raise the dead? Is it something he expects the church to include in its healing ministry today? Well, to try and answer that, I want to look briefly at the times in the Gospels when Jesus raises the dead to life. Now, apart from this story in Luke chapter 7, there's the raising to life of the daughter of Jairus, the synagogue leader, and the raising of Lazarus, Jesus' friend, who had been dead for four days in Bethany when Jesus got there. In these other two accounts, Jesus is requested to come and do something. Jairus pleads desperately with him. He has an extremely sick child who is at the point of death. And he wants Jesus to come and to heal her. Martha and Mary, Lazarus' sisters, send Jesus a message that their brother is seriously ill. Again, there's the clear implication that Jesus should come and do something about it. But here, with the incident in Nain, there is no such request made for Jesus to do anything, to act or intervene. Luke tells us that Jesus came across this situation in this village. And what Luke points out to us is that Jesus seems to have been motivated by compassion for the widow as she walked along next to the bier which bore her dead son, her only child. Any widow of the time would be dependent on her children to care for her following her husband's death. Now her only son is dead and with him gone, she will be facing a desperate struggle for survival. Her plight would understandably prompt Jesus' compassion. In raising her son to life, Jesus is saving the widow from complete destitution, even religiously defiling himself in the process by touching the bier on which the body rested. With Lazarus, Jesus weeps at his friend's tomb. The only time in the Gospels we're told that Jesus expressed that emotion. And it was likely, too, that he was compassionately moved by Jairus's frantic pleas for him to come and heal his sick daughter. Although prophets from Israel's past had also raised people to life, notably Elijah with the son of the widow of Zarephath and Elisha with the Shunammite widow, from the evidence of the Gospels, Jesus did not seem to raise the dead on what you might call a regular routine basis. Perhaps that was because raising the dead, miraculously astounding as it was, 
was not the apex or the high point of Jesus's ministry. And perhaps Jesus didn't want people to think that it was. Lazarus, Jairus's daughter and the widow of Nain's son would live again, much to the delight of their loved ones, but they would also die again. No, the apex or high point of Jesus's ministry is that he too would die. But then be raised to life. Raised to new life. Raised to resurrection life. Raised to die no more. The difference lies between what is the resuscitation of a corpse and resurrection to a new form of life. The former is for this life. The latter is for eternity. So actually, the crowd of onlookers and mourners in Nain get it wrong. They are mistaken to assert, as they do, a great prophet has risen among us. What God would bring about in raising Jesus to resurrection life is unique. And yet the risen Son of God offers to all humanity the possibility of new life, of eternal life, of resurrection life, of life in all its fullness, something that no prophet, not even Elijah or Elisha, could do. So I think my circuit colleague of many years ago was absolutely right to refuse the request to pray for the raising of that deceased family relative. Through their denial, anger, and grief in bereavement, the members of that Christian family needed to put their faith not in a Jesus who raises the dead for this life, but in a Jesus who raises the dead to everlasting life. The story of the raising of the son of the widow of Nain and also the accounts of Lazarus and Jairus' daughter demonstrate that death is reversed, but only for this life. But the events of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus show that death is not simply reversed or deferred just for a time. They show that death has been defeated forever. On the cross, death was defeated by Jesus, not just to give us a few more years of earthly life, but rather that we might live forever, that we might be transformed to new life, to a life that death could never touch or even destroy again. So where does that leave our healing ministry here and now? What is the point of exercising any kind of healing ministry at all if Jesus came to offer us resurrection life? Well, I believe that through healing ministry, we see the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. The gospel material all points to that through the ministry of Jesus. 
And when the kingdom of God breaks in to this life, into this world, into human situations and human lives, what we are getting is a foretaste not of life as it is now, but a foretaste of life as it will be. It's a foretaste of the life of the age to come. It's a foretaste of the resurrection life that God wants all of us to share in the fullness of time. And we see the inbreaking of God's kingdom. We see the coming of that resurrection life when illnesses are cured as a result of prayer as well as medical intervention. We see it when anxiety, stress and fear cease to be obstacles to people growing into wholeness of life. We see it when relationships, once broken, are mended and love is restored in place of conflict. We see it when huge problems that seem completely intractable start to change and events unfold in quite surprising and unexpected ways. We see it when people find peace amidst the difficult and traumatic circumstances of life or are enabled to look to the future with new hope and purpose. These, I believe, are glimpses. These are signs of the kingdom, of the coming kingdom of God that we would today share with others. Just as John, Jesus told John's messengers to go back and relate to him what they had seen and heard. The blind received their sight. The deaf hear, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed. Even the dead are raised. These signs, these glimpses of the kingdom pointing to something beyond this life, something greater than what this world can offer reminds me of two non-Christian surgeons I heard about recently. They said they were going to write reports of how a Christian patient of theirs had remarkably recovered from two operations in an unprecedented way and how she had no trace of cancer whatsoever in her body. And they put this down not just to their own surgical skills, although I'm sure those came into play, but to all the many Christians they knew were supporting her and upholding her in prayer. Here, I believe, is a contemporary sign of the inbreaking of God's kingdom, a foretaste of the life to come, of resurrection life, of life in all its fullness. We expect, as a result of prayers offered here tonight, to see similar signs of the inbreaking of God's kingdom, which is why we value people coming back to us and sharing stories of healing, of new life of further steps taken along the road to wholeness and fullness of living. So tonight, come for prayer. Come for healing. Come and receive the new life God wants to share with you. And know that what you receive is but a foretaste, a glimpse of the life that awaits us all. A life we gain, not because Jesus raised the dead, 
but because Jesus died and rose himself from the dead to die no more. For that greatest miracle of all, the miracle that marks the victory over sin and evil and death forever, we give our thanks and praise to God in Jesus' name. Amen.